Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be. Well, hello there, everyone, and welcome to a very special bonus episode of The Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Jean McCarthy. I write the blog Unpickled, detailing my adventures in life after alcohol since my very first day of sobriety back in 2011. I tell my stories there, and I invite you to share your stories here. And when you do share your stories, something magical happens. Of course, the listeners give great feedback about just how helpful it is to hear other people in recovery like them, but what you might not know is that the guests themselves are often greatly affected by their experience of participating in the show. So when I book a guest to be on the program, I ask them to prepare for being interviewed by writing out their story. And as people reflect and decide what were the major plot points along the way and assessing all the dots that they must connect to really understand and share their own story, they often find that this process is revealing and cathartic. So it brought me to the realization that writing your story should be part of everyone's recovery journey. Whether you ever want someone else to read it or not, write it for yourself and rewrite it as more is revealed and add to it continually. It's a beautiful gift to yourself to explore your own story. So with this in mind, I have decided to share with you someone special in my life, kind of a secret weapon in my life. Um, as many of you know, I'm writing my first novel right now, and I have had um, a, a very special person in my corner helping me, and um, I thought that maybe she could share some of her wisdom with all of you as well. So she's a master storyteller and a teacher. She's going to join me today. She's a friend, a mentor, and oh, by the way, she is also my cousin and my soul sister. Please meet Australian-Canadian author, Catherine Greer. Cousin Catherine, welcome to the Bubble Hour. Hey, Jean. It's so good to be here. So we should tell everyone I'm actually in Australia. I'm sitting in my closet, and I'm so excited to meet your listeners. (laughs) Yes, you're so conscientious. When I told you uh, I'd be sending a link, you said, oh, I'm getting my closet ready. I'm in my closet with pillows. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, obviously you've done podcasts before you know the importance of a nice quiet space but I'm so glad you're here and um, and I'm wondering if our listeners will hear this the similarities in our voice because you and I were at a family event uh, I think about a year ago and your sister said you and Jean sound so much alike 
Um, she said it to me so many times that weekend too. I just took out. I, I feel like I'm listening to Kathy when you talk. So, oh, uh, that's so sweet. That's so I nice. Know. Well, okay, let's get down to the juicy stuff that we want to talk about because your purpose here um, as a guest isn't to tell a story of addiction and recovery. That's not part of your story. Um, But you and I have had a lot of long discussions about the different ways that we've sort of internalized and then projected our pain in different ways in our life. So for me, that came out um, in the form of alcohol addiction, among other things. And for you, you know, you've sort of seen it turn up in your life in other ways. But I think in our family, we could fairly say we're all recovering from something. And I think that is fair to say for all of humanity, really. But you've just been so instrumental in helping me find my voice as a writer that I really wanted to share you with the listeners of this podcast who might want to explore ways to tell their own story. So you're here to help us with that. So how do we get started? That is such a great question. And I want to start really right at the beginning saying everybody has a right to tell their own story. And whether or not that's something you want to eventually share, I'm finding the more women I talk to and the more women I teach around the world how to write their own books, a lot of people have this dream that they want to write and share their story, either their own personal story or stories that they've made up in their head or a sort of composite of their own experience. And I just want to encourage every woman listening right now that it's possible to do it and it's not as daunting as it may seem. So my main advice would be decide today if you have this pull inside you when you're listening to us talk about writing books, if you have the pull that you want to do it, now is the time. This is the sign. This is a woman in the middle of her life sitting in Australia in her closet telling you absolutely you can write your own book if that's what you choose to do. I love that you point out the fact that you're in the middle of your life and beginning um, really your career as a writer. I mean, you've been a writer your whole life and an educator, an English teacher for many years when you were in Canada and a professional writer in Australia. But to write novels, this part of your life is just unfolding now. And, um, And yet I would say both you and I have been writers since we were old enough to pick up a pencil. And yet... You know, it takes a while to get started. Like, um, so how did you, is that all we really need to get started is just to understand that you can do this. There's no, no one's going to come and sprinkle pixie dust on you that, or stick a label on your chest that says you are now labeled a writer. You may now write. Oh, I have so much to say about, I have so much to say about this. So number one, it's about giving yourself permission to be a beginner, no matter what age you are. Because where you start with this writing journey, if it's something that you want to do, you'll know that you want to do it. You cannot start as an expert. You just can't. You have to allow yourself the grace and the time to start as a beginner and to know that being a beginner in this journey is absolutely okay. And I think for me, the story was I knew I was a writer since I was a little tiny girl, but I never really wrote anything down. I just told stories to myself over and over and over and over in my head. I didn't know anyone who was a writer. We didn't even really have a lot of books in my home, but it was important to me. And yet I was stopped by fear for so many years. 
So at my book launch in Sydney, which just happened on the weekend, and it was fabulous. And if anyone's interested in seeing the photos, super fun. You can just zoom over to my blog. So I'm at katherinegreer.com.au, and I'm sure the links will be up here. But I told everyone there that really it was this moment of realizing that I could just begin, that I had the freedom to begin. And so what that looked like for me is exactly what your writing journey looks like for you, Jean, and I've seen you on Instagram. It's a cup of coffee. It's my laptop. It's me sitting on the patio, just starting on page one and putting down the story that's in my head. And I was stopped for a long time because of my own fear. I really think I could have done what I'm doing now when I was 25. But at 25, I was so consumed by thoughts of what people might think of me, how someone could judge me. You know, I was really self-consumed in those days with fear and worry. What if I did the wrong thing? What if my work wasn't good enough? And then finally, literally at 50, I just got to this point where I thought, honestly, screw it. If I don't do it now, if I don't start now, when? So I hope that's inspirational for people because now is the best time to begin. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And do you do any body or brain exercises to get yourself in the zone before you start writing? That is such an interesting question. You know, I read it and I went, ooh, what am I doing wrong? Like maybe I should be. But the answer (laughs) to it is, you know, I make a strong cup of coffee. I get my water. I actually do something important before I do anything creative, actually before I make any foray out into the world. And that is I really try to get myself into alignment. And what I mean by that is mindset work. So feeling happy, using gratitude is huge for me. Just literally stopping myself in my tracks and thinking, looking around and thinking, what can I be grateful for that's in my environment right now? And as soon as I get myself into that headspace of alignment, gratitude, happiness, then I work. And when I teach my beginning writers from all over the world how to write their own books, that's one of the first things we do in the first week of class. We just talk about how to do this, not as some kind of tortured artist where it's a terrible experience for you, but how to write from a place where you are comfortable and loving the work. Because here's the truth, and I'll tell you from being a published author by Penguin Books, which is arguably one of the greatest publishers in the world, the real joy is the time that you're sitting on your patio writing your book. The real joy is the writing time. It's not the publication date. It's not the reviewers. It's not all of that stuff that seems so wonderful in our fantasies and comes after. The real joy is actually sitting with yourself and starting to tell your story and being so excited about a scene you just wrote or, you know, a nonfiction chapter you just communicated. That's the real joy in the writing. Mhm, mhm. And I, you know, something happens to me when I'm when I'm doing that. And it used to happen years ago when I was performing music as well. And uh, what comes to mind is one particular concert I was doing, and it was quite an intimate setting. And I was singing a song, and I had closed my eyes and sort of gone into the lyrics and was singing. And it was a, it was a sad song, you know. And when I opened my eyes, I was so surprised to see the audience. I mean, I was absolutely gone. Um, I just I had forgot there was an audience there, and I uh, it mm-hmm. was I had to uh, it was it was 
such a shock. I mean, I, I think they saw the shock on my face that I forgot I was performing. And um, when I write, I often think of that, that it's like I sort of come up and two hours have gone by and I've been lost in this other world for a little while. And it's the best feeling, um, particularly it? for someone who doesn't drink anymore. <laughs> Absolutely. And the thing that's so amazing about it is you're doing this for yourself. And everybody who's listening, I really want you to internalize this. Your writing journey, like you said at the beginning, Jean, really it's about you and the page. You're doing it for yourself. Because here's the truth. If you are lucky enough to get your book out into the world, some people are going to love it and some people are not going to love it. But you have to love it. You have to love the process. And you can love the process right now you know, without a big publishing deal or without all the work that that entails. Um, but I, I imagine you doing that concert, and I love the fact that you sing and that your music is part of your life. Um, I can see that creative work just takes you away into this other space. Being in flow, right? It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Explain what that is, because I, you use that word in your blog a fair bit, and I actually had to look it up to see what it meant, and I thought, oh, that's kind of what it is, but describe, describe what that means to be in flow. Yeah, well, there's a couple of different ways of looking at it. So uh, there's a famous psychologist in one of the U.S. Ivy schools, and his name is really weird. It's Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, and he wrote a book called Flow 20 years ago, 25 years ago, about people who were so engaged in their work that they couldn't even notice time passing, which is sort of what you were describing. Um, I like to think of flow based on the work of Jess Lively, and she's a podcaster and also an American, young American woman. And that really is more about kind of finding the breadcrumbs of your life. So starting from a position of happiness and then letting your life unfold by following the breadcrumbs that lead you to the next step, the next step, the next step. So an example might be, You're sitting in a cafe and you just feel an urge to chat with a woman who's sitting beside you and you find out that she's writing her own book. And then together you guys decide to form a little writing community where you read each other's manuscripts. And then from that, she has a friend who helps you in X way. So really that's how I think about being in flow and living your life in flow is really just about putting yourself out there, having the courage to be open to the possibilities. Because the truth is, Jean, you and I never even really needed to connect as adults. But here we are with this beautiful new friendship. So we used to be friends with, you know, pigtails and um, pink curlers. And now we're friends as adult women. And our lives have come full circle. But that's because we were open to that experience happening. Mm -hmm. That's true. And we both sort of said yes to it, right? We both welcomed what life brought us in the form of, our friendship and reconnecting after after years. My next question for you is is to talk a little bit about formats. We've been you and I've both been talking about novels because that happens to be what we both are working on currently. But I have in my hand um, a best selling book by the name of Milk and Honey by Rupi Kaur, which is an incredible book of short poems and sketches that has just taken the world by storm, really, um, because she through poetry, um, really just spoke words that were fearful for a lot of women to speak. And I, I have a degree in English, and I somehow managed to graduate 
my English program with absolutely no appreciation of poetry. I just, <laughs> I really only wanted to write fiction. And, um, and yet poetry, um, I'm just thinking there's just so many formats that we might not consider. So walk us through some of the different ways that we could approach writing and explore, you know, different things that we hadn't sure. considered perhaps. Absolutely. And for beginner writers, this is a funny thing to say, but poetry, especially modern poetry written like she does, is a very easy and accessible route. So let me be both business-oriented and a professional and also a warm friend to all the people who are listening. If you want to write poetry, poetry comes very easily for the most part. It's, um, It's often stream of consciousness. It doesn't require the kind of discipline and effort that maintaining a massive nonfiction or fiction manuscript requires. And it's beautiful and you can do it and it's meaningful. The downside commercially or professionally is that often our poetry really is meant to be more like journaling and it's not as relevant to other audiences sometimes. So um, Rupi's work, absolutely, people are loving it. There are a million billion sort of knockoff books of poetry that are similar that maybe wouldn't resonate as well. However, that doesn't mean there's not value in doing it. So when you think about your writing style, a lot of people want to come, for example, to children's picture books because they have this dream in their heart, they want to write a book, and they're under the impression that that's easy because it's short. And it's kind of true. And by the way, if you do want to write a children's picture book, I've done that as well and I can help. But poetry seems simple because there's less words. It's kind of stream of consciousness. And that's why a lot of people attempt it. And it can be a really beautiful way to express yourself. I would say, though, if it feels like you want to be a writer and writing poetry is kind of the easier route for you, but honestly in your heart you know you're really meant to be writing your story as a novel I would just urge you to bite the bullet and try your book as a novel and or writing on fiction is also quite a big project so does that answer the question it can be a beautiful pursuit it's a lot like journaling Uh Um, Uh but if you want to be commercially viable with what you're doing potentially writing your novel or your nonfiction book is a better option tell me about Structuring a memoir versus writing a novel or writing your life as nonfiction. I mean, what are some different ways that we could set this up? Oh, that's a really great question. And I do take my writing students through it all the time, Jean. It's so fascinating. Sometimes we want to write straight memoir, which is really revealing our entire story in kind of an autobiography or autobiographical format. Sometimes we take pieces of ourselves and inject those scenes into novels. And I always tell my new writers, when you're writing a novel, there are parts, there are going to be parts of you in it. And the more authentic that you can make the novel by drawing on detail from your own life, the better it will be. But you can also choose to write nonfiction. And so in my class, oh, it sounds like a total plug for my class, and I don't mean it to be this way, but I'm so excited as a teacher. I take people through writing a a fiction book and writing a nonfiction book because what I find is that most people have capacity to write both. Uh So they have an idea for a novel and they want to tell that story that 
they also really do have an idea for a very viable nonfiction book, if not more than one, that can help people, right? And it can be as Uh simple as, you know, the way I got myself healthy when I was recovering, I, I used these sorts of foods and I used this sort of replacement drink and all of those things. That's actually a really fantastic nonfiction book. And whether or not you go down a published route, a standard publishing route with traditional publishers, or you self-publish and pop it up on Amazon or put it on your website, I mean, all of this work can really help the world. So I would say if you're new and sitting on the fence, number one, think about what comes easily to you. And number two, think about what you're going to enjoy writing most and maybe start with that project. Uh-huh. I know that there's always more than one book inside us, right? You know, I what I love about you is that you are um, not scarcity-minded when it comes to that there's room for everyone. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes the those of us that are competitive and tend to be perfectionists, you know, we sort of want to discourage other people from doing what we're doing so we can keep all the, um, you know, brain space to ourselves, but... I love the reminder, Um, clearly it's something I need to hear, I guess, is that there's room for everyone and more is better when it comes to voices and and books and stories. And there really is room for all of us that want to write to write. There's no shortage of eyeballs to read our work. (laughs) Yeah, and, and take a look at how long this took. So for my debut novel, which is actually not my first novel, but my first published novel, Love, Lie, Repeat, that just came out. That book, I wrote it in 16 weeks, which is very, very fast. But then we took about a year of editing with Penguin. It took me a while to pitch that novel and get a a publishing deal. We did all the editing. The publication process happened. And, you know, really, it's been two years since I wrote that book. And you can read it in five hours. So if you think about that, we need so many books in the world. We actually need Uh your story. You know, Uh we need it because we read so quickly and it takes so long to produce work. Um, And I do want to encourage everyone because I think when I was a new writer and starting out, if I'm honest with you, I received a lot of discouraging comments from established writers who maybe were a bit scarcity-minded. And I can see why, you know, we are all so fearful. I just think we all need to give ourselves a big hug and a deep breath and a yoga class, you know, because we're all afraid. And even established famous authors are often quite afraid that some person is going to come along and do better than they did. But the truth is there really is room for your story and for mine and for all of our stories. That is so true. And what you often hear when you're considering writing is, you know, get used to rejection letters. You hear stories about people that wallpapered their entire office with rejection letters. And it's all about, like, brace yourself for negativity. And so to hear your positivity on this topic is just so encouraging. And um, I think for, for those of us who are writing because we love it and we're telling stories because the stories are pouring out of our our you know, our ears and our eyes and our, our, our skin. I mean, it's just come, stories just come out of us. Um, it's just so nice to hear someone say, yes, yes, tell your story. We need your story. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the most freeing things that I did, and this is so simple to do, I wrote the first draft of my novel, and then I decided I was going to have 15 beta readers read it and give me feedback so that I would have something to say to publishers. Because what most people don't know is that publishers do 
almost no research around whether or not a book is going to hit its market. So they use their own experience and say, yes, I love this book and I believe in it, so I'm going to take it to market. But really, that's only an an audience of one. And then they workshop it around an acquisitions table and they have to get buy-in. So generally at an acquisitions meeting, what happens is a publisher, if you get lucky enough to get this far, a publisher will take your book into an acquisitions meeting and there will be eight or ten books on the table and they have to argue and four of them maybe get through four of the ten. So it's not that your book isn't high quality, but it just may be it didn't resonate with other people or they weren't interested for some some reason or maybe just your publisher didn't win. Uh So uh when I wrote my first draft, what I did is I went to create space on Amazon. I produced 15 copies of my book in um, a self-published format and I handed it out to beta readers and there's photos on my blog of when that box of books came to my door and it was magic because as soon as I had created the book in reality and this is what I teach new writers to do in my writing class as soon as you create that book in reality it just opens the floodgates for the possibility that it's going to be real so as long as that book is just sitting in your computer or it's in your desk drawer, or nobody's reading it, it really doesn't have the breath of life in it. But Mm -hmm. I believe, this sounds so crazy and magical and probably very woo-woo, but I believe that when you bring that book into the world as a real physical entity, then it can actually break through and reach people. Does that sound crazy? I love it. I love it. (laughs) I mean, it's more of a concrete... um, description of manifesting something in your life, right? I mean, we, we hear that, and, and you're right, it's kind of a woo-woo term, I'm going to manifest this in my life, but I always feel like, okay, but you can't just sit on your couch eating M&Ms and thinking about your book getting published. Like, I like yeah. being able to do something to bring it to life, and that you're right, you hold it in your hands and you see it printed on the page. I got goosebumps when you said that. Um, I know. Just thinking and about you- my book in that form. Absolutely. And it's, you're ready for it because you're done draft one of your own novel. So I think, you know, you go to CreateSpace, you can order, they're called author copies. So you can order a limited print run. You can order one book for $4.99 and have it mailed to you. And, you know, you do, I teach you all of this in my writing class, but you do a a cover on Canva.com, which is a free design website. And you create this book, and then you send it to yourself, and it's like, oh, my gosh. The other amazing thing about it is you really see your own errors when you see a book in format like that. And this is so fascinating. The manuscript in A4 pages or 8.5 by 11 pages looks so different. Your writing looks so different when it's in book format. And I don't know why it magically changes, but it does. So as a writer, suddenly when you've got the new format, you're looking at it going, gee, my lines are really choppy or this needs to be fixed. It's it's a beautiful way to revise. How I want to talk a little bit more about that um, just quickly um, about your beta readers. Um, Was it hard to get their feedback and how different is the book that I'm holding in my hands and read in five hours mm-hmm. last week, the beautiful yep. book, Love, Lie, Repeat. How, how different does the, does the end product look from that um, author's well, we, copy? 
that's interesting. We went through quite a lot of um, revision with Penguin because they wanted um, certain scenes expanded. I wrote probably about 5,000 words in addition. After that version, I changed the ending quite significantly. Um, really? Which was a, yeah, which was a little bit hard for me to do. So we can't reveal it because it's a, it's a psychological family drama and there's a big twist at the end. So that is different from the original book. So that what came through is the published book. So yeah, it's quite different. It'd be interesting for Eugene to read the one of the originals. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to now. And um and did you I'm like I am really fragile when it comes to criticism. I I'm working on it, but you know, I just I turn four the minute someone criticizes oh. me. So was that hard? (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about Goodreads. So I don't know if you guys know about the website Goodreads, but it is a site where um, it's run entirely by readers and they review books. And a lot of the people on Goodreads are young women who really love having a voice, but of course there's not a lot of accountability that goes with that voice. So entire writing careers have actually been Dulled and ruined by accusations from people of, say, for example, um, homophobia or bigotry or racism or whatever. And sometimes those accusations are completely inaccurate and have been made by people who are very young and who have never read your work. So it is, it's a bit of a minefield, honestly. And reviews come in and you can get someone giving you a one-star review, you know, after two years of work, and they'll just say things like, not my thing. And you want to say to the reviewer, wait a second, first of all, there's a human being on the other end of this book. And now that I'm an author, I have really learned to say, it's just not for me, but I'm sure someone else will love it. So no matter what it is, because honestly, Jean, if I held up a dress, Or you'll see on my website that, you know, the dress I wore to my launch party, bright pink, really gorgeous. Some people at the event might have looked at that and gone, ugh, would never wear that. Other women were like, I love your dress. Where did you get it? So your book is not going to appeal to everyone. And people believe that they can be very, very forward about works of art and whether they love them or hate them. And they don't justify their point of view so it is really tough the review process is really really tough so you when you asked um beta readers which and what that means is that someone who agrees to read your book knowing that it's not quite ready for prime time like they know that they're reading a work in progress to give you feedback on it how did you choose those people and then how did you sort of filter through their feedback and decide what was useful and what was opinion So what I did is just created an online survey, and I tried to make it quite general because I wanted to be encouraging to myself. So I tried to ask people whose opinions I trusted. Excuse me. I tried to ask people whose opinions I trusted, and then from there, I was still hurt, I suppose, by a bit of the feedback, but you know that's life, right? You just need to move on. What have you done to move on from feedback that you got that you didn't appreciate? Waited it out. <laughs> we just told myself, like, don't react until you give yourself some space because um, because I was reacting emotionally. And if I take a couple right. of days and just let that 
sit, then I'm able to go, okay, um, this person was voicing an opinion. Or, yeah, I think that person really was feeling like they maybe wanted to be a little bit hurt. Like it just gives me a chance to be more objective about it because I, my immediate reaction is 100% emotional. And I'll be honest, it's something I'm a little bit fearful of now that I'm at the next stage of writing, of knowing that I, I need to approach people for feedback. And like my husband, I let my husband read the first um, three chapters. And, yep. of course, he loved it because he's a good guy and also he's smart. <laughs> mm-hmm. Smart husband, smart reader. He would love to read my first draft. You know, he wants to know what I did and what I've been, like, working on all this time. But I don't want him to see it until it's, like, so good. So I'm having a hard time even considering who would be a good beta reader because the people that are important to me, I want them to see my best work and not my work in progress because if they read it now all of the sort of plot twists and surprises and stuff will be ruined for them and they won't get that full enjoyment see i'm controlling i just want to control their reaction (laughs) i want them to have like the full experience of reading my perfect book after it's perfect so be that it may just be that you want to work differently the way that i work is i let my husband read my book in installments because I love getting his feedback weekly and I need a cheerleader. And that's what he does for me, which is awesome. And also because I'm a professional copywriter, my novels come out quite complete. And we wanted to talk about the fact that you're a plotter and I'm a panther, which is kind of crazy. Um, (laughs) Should we talk about that that a little bit? Yeah, explain what that is. Yeah, a panther flies by the seat of her pants. So the story with Love, Lie, Repeat is that I gave a publisher my first novel, which is awesome, and she loved it, but said they were publishing something similar. Do I have anything else? And I said, yes, of course I do. And then I went away and went, <laughs> and you didn't. Oh, I'm that write a novel. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. So I walked by my bulletin board. I saw the poem Siren Song by Margaret Atwood, and I thought to myself, there's a novel in this poem. So I wrote the first 10 pages submitted it. The publisher wanted more, 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 more. So I was really writing on the fly. And I, I write my drafts in quite a complete way, but I was pantsing by the seat of my pants, the, the plot of a thriller, which is hard to do, people. It's very hard to do, but <laughs> I just did it. So, and every time I write a book, I swear to myself, I'm going to become a plotter. I am going to plot out this book so that I know what's coming next, but I always end up just writing my books scene by scene and so excuse me for my process as a pantser I just sit down I have my characters on my very first day where is this person what is the scene and I write that scene and then I put it away and the next day I get up and it's like what's the next scene and I just write my book scene by scene so what do you do as a plotter So as a plotter, I literally have an 11 by 15 piece of graph paper, and um, my novel takes place over the course of several decades. So I've written across the top the years from 1910 to 1976, and then I plotted in significant moments in history that had to be written around. So I had to make sure that 
you know, my main characters weren't going to get drafted into the war or that we weren't, like, making fudge or something super sugary when sugar was being rationed or something like right, that. Right, right. And, um, and so I not only plotted out kind of the main – I start with sort of the main points. So, you know, this person, this happens, this happens, this happens. Let's say to begin with I sort of had um, – I knew where I w- wanted to – I knew the arc of the story, and so I kind of stuck that in. And then um, then I wanted to go a little bit deeper. Well, then when was that character born? And so then I had to right. kind of put that dot in. And I actually, at one point, it was getting so confusing that I cut out strips of paper. To, you know, we have computers, of yeah. course, but I, I like <laughs> to be hands-on here. Mm-hmm. I cut out strips of paper representing everyone's lifespan so that I could kind of slide them around underneath this time chart at the top because I was um, weaving together three different plot lines and I was starting to have trouble keeping straight the ages right. and the time frames and all that kind of stuff. And, oh my um, gosh, I'm so excited to jump in here. Can I tell you, the reason <laughs> you're doing that is because you're writing historical fiction. So yes. that is a very... Um, listeners hear this, that is a very difficult genre to start out with. So you have set the bar so high for yourself. Probably the easiest genre to write is contemporary fiction, which is what I've done. But of course, with historical fiction, yes, absolutely, you're going to need to plot everything out. And good on you. That would have been very, very challenging. And you might even think about using a, the tool Scrivener. I don't know if you've yes, ever heard of it. Yeah, are you? Has, okay. I don't I don't I just started. It's, I don't like it's it. changed yeah. the game for me. It has changed the game. It's a especially lot of, writing such a complicated book. It really allowed me to make sense of it in my mind beyond my yeah. graph paper and pencil. Um, you're right. That it's very difficult, and I will tell you right now that my next novel will be contemporary fiction, because of what I've learned doing this historical piece of work that I'm doing. And I want to share something beautiful that you said to me as I was explaining to you, like, oh my goodness, this is so hard, and I made this so hard on myself, and I, I did all these difficult things that I now now I know I shouldn't have done that. And you said, you are teaching yourself how to write a book. So talk more about that, because that has been the most helpful, encouraging thing that anyone has said to me probably in my whole life. Oh, I love hearing that. I love hearing that. And if you're a beginner writer out there listening to this, please know the only way to write your book is to teach yourself how to write your book. And when I started, I did a couple of very expensive writing courses that honestly were way too much information and none of the real deal. And that's why I developed my own very simple structured writing class online. But what I always tell my new writers is the only way to do this is for you to figure out how you do it as you do it. You know, it's like anything, like learning to be a great baker. The only way you learn to be a great baker is by you continually trying new recipes and teaching yourself how to bake as you go and realizing, wait a second, my oven bakes too hot or it bakes cooler than this, whatever. It's exactly the same with a book. You have to take that first book and teach yourself while you're writing. And the other thing that I would really like to say to you is if you have one special story that is very, very dear to your heart, and often those stories have a really strong autobiographical element, it may be wise to save that idea as your second or third or fourth novel 
so that you are a pro when you start to write it. So if you have an idea that, yeah, so I often say sometimes start with your second or third best idea and learn your craft. So as we're talking about sort of the therapeutic process of of writing your story and and creating your story and and knowing that, you know, you can go beyond journaling and, like, write your story as a book and publish it just for yourself. Make one copy online and keep it for yourself. But what you're saying is if you really want to do this as, you know, feeling like this is something that I really want to put out in the world, you might want to have some fun and write a – just write a – this is my teach myself to write a book book first (laughs) – some contemporary yep, fiction just to sort of and maybe say I'm going to write a 40,000 word novella yes. Um, yes. first something and then and then sort of teach yourself to do the beginning middle end and um, feel the completion of that and then move into it like almost like training for a marathon absolutely absolutely the same and if people want some kind of idea about word lengths you're right 40,000 words is a novella or a, a middle grade children's novel but if you get kind of more toward the 50,000 word mark, that's where you're starting to feel like an adult novel between 50 to 90,000 words. Right. And you suggested, I was kind of shooting for 100,000 words on my first novel because I read somewhere online that that was the number. And you said, no, actually, first time published, uh, first time, excuse me, authors should maybe go more for 80,000. That's right. That's what publishers like. That's the the length that really sits well, especially for adult um, contemporary fiction. Yeah, would be around 80,000 words. So you've mentioned your online course a couple of times, and so let's just talk about that. I do have a link in the show notes for this episode. Um, and right now we're recording this uh, towards the end of March 2019. And I think I saw on your website it's May is when your next round of of course, this is yeah. coming up, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I'm kicking off in May. And honestly, guys, I'm really not doing a sales pitch here, but I'm so passionate about helping beginner writers start because who knows who was the next J.K. Rowling? She didn't even know she was J.K. Rowling. I yeah. just think it's so exciting to be able to take women who have these stories, and men too, I've had men in the class, and really show them how to, how to get started and how to do all the background and how to even begin because there's so many rookie errors that you can avoid if you just have the voice of experience saying, you know, these are the things that you need to do without all of the extraneous detail. And I'm sure there's great writing courses everywhere in your local community. What I found personally is, number one, they're very expensive often, and you spend a lot of your time critiquing other people's work which is kind of teacher code word for we need to get through 16 hours of class, so we'll spend so much time every night looking at everybody else's work and critiquing it. To me, that is a complete waste of time, a total waste of your time. And the reason I feel that – sorry, Jane, go ahead. Well, I was going to jump in and said if if someone does want to do that, they can join a writer group and do that on the side as a valuable exercise. So I think when you say waste of time, what you're meaning is it's class time, paid class time. Yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely. And also, well, okay, can I really step out on a limb here and tell you what I honestly think? I think to become a better writer, you need to be writing. For me to look at what you're doing in your writing doesn't really make me a better writer. You know what I mean? It's almost like watching somebody else get therapy. Of course you can learn from their (laughs) therapy, but you really have to do your own therapy. I love that. (laughs) 
<laughs> you understand? It's, I know it's forward of me to say it, and it's an unpopular position, but I really do believe that by spending all of your time focused on your own book, your own writing, you're in that therapy room and you're doing it. You're doing the work. Yeah. And otherwise, you're spending a lot of your time talking about somebody else's novel. Well, and frankly, uh, you know, your opinion on this, as you say, and that might be a controversial opinion, but it's also an educated one because you have a master's in English, yeah. this, right? And yeah. you've spent how many years teaching English and teaching writing and writing professionally? So I, I know that, you know, that isn't just sort of a, you know, I read it on Reddit, so I'm now repeating it. I mean, this is no. this is what you've lived and, and, and how the truth that, as you've experienced it. So I, I can completely appreciate that. I um, do think that we, you know, for all of us as writers, we have limited time, right? We need to use our time wisely. And if you want to get your story out and get those 350 pages of your manuscript written, focusing on yourself and focusing on your work is definitely the way to do it. So writing as therapy, let's just talk about that for a few minutes before we go. And I'm using therapy, you know, not in the sort of, let's say, therapeutic writing. Right. Um, right. I really find, find that I have gotten to know myself in a lot of ways by writing fiction that I haven't gotten. I mean, I've, I've journaled and blogged and, you know, I, I feel like I, I think about my own self too much. But when once I started writing fiction and I had to kind of, um, like I have, every, there's always a villain in the story, right? And so as I wrote that person that wasn't a very nice person and I really had to crawl in their skin and bring them to life, I had to find that part in me that could do that. Mm-hmm. And I have really found that that exercise has, it has been very therapeutic because I almost kind of sit there afterwards, like gripping the arms of my chair and realizing, you know, I could kill another person. Like I just, yeah. <laughs> I You're just got to character. the mindset of someone who could do that. And, um, you know, the, often in recovery circles, which is, you know, something that I know isn't an experience that you've had in your life. So I'm going to t- talk to the listeners for a minute, but when we're, when we're in sharing circles with other people in recovery or just having coffee with someone who's going through something similar to what we're going through, we, we talk about like having that shared experience and the me too experience. And this is almost like having a yeah, me too experience in yourself with a part of yourself that you didn't know was there. And it's so true, Jean. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when I wrote Love, Lie, Repeat, that novel is really about a very juicy, very powerful unreliable narrator, a young woman who did something as a child that she actually can't confront as a teenager. And that was fascinating. And the most amazing part of that book is the response from teenage girls, teenage readers, and mothers, because there's a lot in the novel about competitive mothering and the attempt to be perfect, all of those kinds of the pressure to be perfect, those themes. Women are coming up to me saying, that felt like me. I felt mm-hmm. like that character. I recognized myself in her. Because we're so busy in our day-to-day life papering everything over and pretending that it's all fine. You know, your yeah. listeners know this. I know this. And you're right. I, I haven't had a drinking problem. I have had so many other problems. All of us have. All of us are in the trenches, right? All of us. And we, how do we respond to that? Most of us are so high-functioning, we just paper it all over. 
And I think when you start to tell your story, this is why it's important to tell your story, because you start to peel off that wallpaper layer by layer, and you find things inside yourself, ways to identify with characters, with humanity, that you didn't even know was possible. You didn't even know you felt that way. And it's an amazing experience. It's so freeing. As you say that, there's a scene that comes to mind in your novel where um, one of the mothers is going through a box of old things and, and drinking a glass of wine, probably not her first glass of wine, drinking a bottle of wine. And just that feeling of, like, sadness and numbing and just going through the motions in this sort of, you know, numb, robotic state and as I read that, you know, and I and I know you, um, I was like, yeah, there it is. There's that, like, y- you found that part in you that has to face things in the world that you don't like or that that Absolutely. doesn't feel good and, and you, know what it's like to just need to cope through it, good or bad. Right. And you, absolutely. And the, I think the pain of the mothers in my novel was so real for me. I really pushed my own children. Um, it's a very common thing here in Australia to do, and I'm not proud of it. And I look at it now, and I think those are some of my greatest regrets. And the numbing that I did to myself, maybe it wasn't with alcohol, but it was definitely, it was sometimes with food, it was sometimes with, um, you know, hiding, it was with um, self-loathing. We use all different kinds of strategies to numb, right? And so the women in my book use a lot of alcohol. They use a lot of dieting. They use a lot of um, body hatred to numb. And I feel so much compassion for them. And you're right. Parts of them are me and me me that I may be ashamed to admit is me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, we are out of time. And I I told you when we started, I was like, okay, I have to get to curling. (laughs) (laughs) I have to go put on my stretchy pants because I'm wearing tight jeans and I cannot curl in these. So this is this is the life of a Canadian. You're you are in Australia in your closet. I'm in Canada, <laughs> living the life of a true Canadian who's got to go to her last curling game of the season. Oh, I hope you do well. That's awesome. Well, I'll tell you something. Uh, we are at top of our division, and if we win tonight, we win the division. So um, I'm just I'm going to say that and let you think for a brief moment that I might be an excellent curler like the ones you see on TV, and then I'll tell you that we are in the C division, and we kind of <laughs> hope we <laughs> we kind of are a little worried that if we win our division, they're going to move us up to the B division, and we're going to have to work harder next year. So <laughs> that's so fun. Oh yeah. Thank you so much for joining me today. I love talking to you, and, you know, I, I always just feel so encouraged. And uh, you, you remind me that I'm already smart and I'm already capable, and I just have to believe it and go do something about it. And I, I'm do always you know so grateful what, Jean, for that. That is fantastic. I hope I do that for the whole world. If I can do that for five women, I will feel so fulfilled. Because you all are already smart and already capable. You just have to open it up. It's funny. My favorite quote in the world is my girlfriend from Canada. Her father said this, and he said, you can't start any younger. You can't start any smarter. You can only start where you are. And I just, to me, that's everything. 
I love it. I love it. And it's so perfect for our discussion today. And I wanted to share our conversation with listeners of the Bubble Hour because I just, you've just been such a special person to me over the course of writing this book. And I just wanted to share a little bit of of that, of of the magic that happens whenever we talk um, with anyone listening who might have an inkling that they want to tell their story or that they, they, I don't know, feel a pull to do something and they don't know what it is. So, listeners, I hope that the discussion Catherine and I have had today has been helpful and inspiring to you. Um, I certainly have enjoyed it, as I do every time I talk to my beautiful cousin. Um, you mentioned a little bit about baking and that you become a great baker by baking. You're an amazing cook and baker, so your uh, Instagram feed and your blog are – I've actually got some of your recipes printed out here actually on my desk right beside me right now. I just have to make them. And uh, <laughs> you write a lot about about writing and being a writer, and you shine a light a little bit, you know, behind the scenes um, during, you know, your book release and what the experience is like. And I've really enjoyed sharing all of that along with you through through your your social media and your blog and everything. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Love you lots, and I have loved our discussion. Me too. I feel the same. Thank you, Jean. Thank you. So this has been my cousin, the amazing, beautiful, smart, fantastic Catherine Greer. You can learn more about Catherine at catherinegreer.com.au. Go there, buy her books, sign up for her happiness blog, and you can check out her writing courses there too. It starts May 2019, and you can find Catherine on Instagram to see her pretty face. You can look at the two of us and decide if we look a lot alike. I think we do. Not to say that I'm as beautiful as she is. She's always been the most gorgeous child woman girl and also your feet are just the perfect size I've always been jealous of your feet which is weird (laughs) but it's true (laughs) also you can through uh, following uh, Catherine on Instagram you also get a little peek of her life in Sydney and uh, all of her great recipes so thanks for spending some time with me today and uh, listeners thank you for listening to us you are very important to me And I love the relationship that we have through this feedback loop of telling stories, listening to stories, and then coming full circle, writing in your thoughts, and then often that ends you up on the show as a guest. And that just means so much to me. So thanks, uh, my full-on gratitude to everyone involved. And that's all for this discussion today. Until next time, everyone, take good care. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.